message I have tonight is very simple. It's called a good conversation. A good conversation. From James chapter 3 and verse 13. Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. Now, if you're reading from a more modern translation tonight, you might see that as a, a good manner of life or way of life or a good lifestyle or way of living. We might think when we're thinking about James chapter 3, if you took the time to read up a few passages above that, you'd see that this was that famous part of the book of James where he was talking about the tongue and all the things that the tongue can do. Uh, such a small thing, <laughs> but oh my, what a great, great matter. Uh, you know how it is, of course, uh, we grew up in, the, or I did at least, grew up when uh, Smokey the Bear was still on TV pretty regular, and, uh, and he'd uh, tell you, only you can prevent forest fires, you know, just a, just a little match, just a little spark, and uh, when the ground is dry and the wind is blowing, my, how many acres, how many miles of the world can be burned off by a little fire? You think that's something? Uh, watch what, a, what the tongue can do. The tongue can ruin lives of people. It can ruin our lives. It can wreck the reputation of a church. It can do permanent damage. Uh, funny thing about a fire, when it burns off the world, you know, it actually helps it. Uh, many times. I mean, you go back in, in a year or two, and man, it's just growing up lush and green. But a lot of times, with the, the damage that a tongue does is almost permanent, lasts for a long, long time. So when you see all that information about the tongue and about uh, what the, the tongue can do and the power that it has. We might read verse 13 casually and think that the conversation in this passage is just talking about the way that we talk, but it's not. This is a word that refers to the lifestyle that we live, the kind of life that we live, conversation. And it is used many, many times in Scripture. And tonight we're going to take some time to look at these things because there can be a, a bad conversation and the Bible warns us about several different kinds of a bad lifestyle or a bad conversation that we are to avoid. And it also encourages us with some good conversation, a good lifestyle that we are uh, to follow. And you say, well, since it's lifestyle or manner of life, then why didn't you just go with a modern translation? Because uh, the, the King James was very consistent with this. It just called it conversation again and again and again. And that makes it easy for us to follow. So we're thinking about this. Now, those of you who are my age and maybe a little younger than me, you can remember when you went to school and you brought something home every six weeks. Right? What am I talking about? Report cards. See, there you go. Report cards. I don't, I, you, I don't know if you get those anymore or not in school. I, I don't I, So much has changed. But I remember those old paper report cards that you used to bring home. <clears throat> I never worried about what was on the front side because my grades were always pretty good. It was always what was on the back side. Because I'm going to tell you, what was on the back side got my backside in trouble quite a bit <laughs> when I got home. 
And, uh, you know, when you come in there and you had one or two checks, but I tell you what, when that thing was lit up like a Christmas tree, man, it was going to be bad. It was whispers too much. Those conduct grades, deportment, oh, man, oh, they were the bane. I, I'm not saying I was a troublemaker. I was just a troublemaker. <laughs> uh, it just happened. Uh, I know I, I still have it, that in me a little bit. I, I do. Conduct. Conduct, that's what we're talking about. Conversation, how we live. I heard a story a few weeks ago, and it, it, I think I'd heard something like this uh, quite a while back, so you've probably heard about it. It was about a woman wor- rushing to work in busy traffic when the car in front of her stopped at the yellow light instead of going on through, and she had to slam on her brakes in order to stop. And the woman was furious that she had got caught at the light and she began to vent her fury by flashing her lights and honking her horn and giving a few other choice expressions and gestures. She was surprised when she looked up, heard a tap on the window, looked up and there's a police officer standing there. He asked her to get out of the car and provide him with her driver's license. After a few moments of checking, the officer came up and said, Sorry for the mix-up, ma'am. I noticed your Choose Life bumper sticker and your fish sign and your Follow Me to Sunday School license plate. And then I saw you cursing and carrying on like that with the driver in front of you, and I wondered if your car was stolen. It's probably not a a true story, but unfortunately, it probably could be (laughs) all too often. Conversation matters. Our lifestyle, the way that we live. Now, I realize that this is going to be kind of a scattershot of things because I'm going to be looking at a lot of different passages where the term conversation is used. And yet, I think it'll be good because we'll just be able to look at some of the things that the Bible warns us about, things to avoid, the kind of conversation or lifestyle that should be avoided. Not necessarily the times, just when we lose our temper or when we lose it, as we like to say, when we slip or when we fall, but I'm talking about a lifestyle. Where behavior is more than just an occasional thing, but it's a common, everyday thing. It becomes a a rooted pattern of behavior, good and bad. So we'll start with the bad ones. Galatians chapter 1 and verse 13, Paul said, You have heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it and profited in the Jews' religion, Above many my equals in mine own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the tradition of my fathers. This was a religious conversation. A lifestyle that was dominated by a bad religious system. Now, his religious system, of course, we've just preached through the book of Galatians, so you know what he was talking about. He was talking about the Old Testament law of Moses with all of its rigid rules and regulations uh, that told them what they could eat, uh, how it had to be prepared, what they could wear, how they could go. And in the fulfilling of then these many multiples of commandments, they began to feel like uh, that they were right with God. And that was a dangerous thing. 
But it wasn't enough then for Paul just to have his own religion and have it to himself. But like as is almost always the case with false religion, bad religion, it tends to be something then that people feel compelled to try to force on others. Paul saw his religion, what he had given his life to, under attack. He knew that if the Christians had their way, the Jews' religion would be gone. He should have learned something on the day that Jesus died. The Bible says that the veil of the temple was rent in twain from top to bottom. That should have told them something. What it was telling them was that the Jews' religion was obsolete. It had been replaced by a new and living way. But even the Christian, the followers of Christ, didn't understand all the implications of that. They had to grow in their knowledge and understanding of that. And you see that developing in the book of Acts as they grew more and more and to realize that the old ways were passing away and a new way had come. They understood what Jesus meant when he told them you couldn't put new wine in an old wine bottle. It would bust it. Wine skin was what he said. And a new covenant relationship with Jesus Christ simply was not going to fit into the form and structure of the Old Testament. But here was Paul who lived his life dominated by a bad religious system. And yet his zeal was so strong for it that he had a religious conversation. Now, we talked at length last Sunday morning about how important it is to serve, that God has has redeemed us. He has called us with a holy calling, and he has created us in Christ Jesus unto good works. And when we are rightly related to God through Jesus Christ, and our life then is one of faith, then that faith in Jesus Christ can and in fact does produce uh, good works. But even us, we have to guard against just letting things become religious. I don't know what about it is, but there, there's a lot of unhealthy uh, churches. There's a lot of uh, unhealthy ministries afoot in our world today. And, and, and people get sucked into that. They get caught into that. Much like Paul was in the bondage of this religious structure. And he couldn't figure out how to get out of it. It dominated his life. It was a religious conversation. You couldn't think of Paul without thinking of his religion. His religion. But as New Testament believers in Christ, of course, we need more than that. We need a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what we've got because Christ lives in us. We need to warn ourselves then. It's possible to have just a religious conversation that doesn't end well. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 3, Among whom also we all had our conversation in time past in the lust of our flesh. Fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. And so we add to our religious conversation, that's a bad way of life to be avoided. We add then a lustful conversation. A way of life that is dominated by the desires of the flesh and of the mind. Now, the flesh is enough to contend with all by itself. But, uh, you know, it's not by itself. 
because the desires of the flesh are controlled by the mind. And uh, the mind can stir up way, way more than the, than the body can ever take care of. And, and even when the body is, is satisfied, when the flesh is satisfied, the mind, the mind is still looking for, for more. It's on the go all the time. And so it's something uh, for us to be concerned about, to have a lifestyle then that is dominated by the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And let me be quick to say that not every desire of the flesh or that everything that the mind could conceive is necessarily bad. Uh, The mind can can dream great dreams. (laughs) I mean, I'm not talking about what happens when we sleep. I, I mean a dream in the sense of an objective and a goal. We can see things and we can then work to accomplish those things. We have good and godly goals and, and the mind can imagine those things for us. Uh, I wouldn't want to live in a life, where, a life without vision. In fact, the Bible tells us where there is no vision, the people perish. So, so not everything that the mind can conceive of is bad. The mind can dream of a lot of good things and a, and a lot of godly things and have great visions. Not everything that the flesh wants is bad. Uh, The flesh uh, has certain desires and appetites. You have a need for sleep. Amen, WC? I mean, might be feeling feeling okay right now, but uh, we have a need for sleep, for rest. We have a need for social interaction. We crave it with other people. Uh, We got deprived of that for a long time this year. Uh, we have a desire for food, amen, yeah, especially casseroles, I tell you, we have, we have, a, we have a desire for, uh, we, we need things to drink, we, we have to breathe, and, and so uh, sometimes while we crave fellowship, sometimes we need space, and we crave that, sometimes we crave the noise, sometimes we crave the quiet, and we need that. A lot of things that the flesh needs, they're not all bad. But unfortunately, our bodies and our mind are corrupted by the presence of sin. And because of that, this mind that can dream great dreams and and have great and noble goals can also conceive of horrible, terrible, awful things to do to other people. There's hardly a day goes by in the country, in this country, that I, if I happen to look at the news or pull it up, there's hardly a day goes by that I don't see something that makes me wonder how in the world could somebody even conceive of such a thing? Some of the things that people do to other people, how could they come up with such an awful thing? If I didn't have a Bible, all I'd have to do is look at people for a while to know that there's a devil. There has to be, there has to be a demonic influence in the lives of people bringing out some of these things. But the desires of the flesh are real. And they're unfortunately influenced by sin. We can then have a lifestyle that is dominated simply by fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And that doesn't necessarily mean we'll be a criminal. That doesn't necessarily mean we'll be a criminal. One writer compared this to having a dog's life. You know, a dog, uh, 
just like some good food, a warm place to sleep, a uh, little affection, a little somebody to pat his head, give him a little loving every now and then, and he's happy. He's just as happy as he can be. Somebody to throw him a ball or play with him or do whatever it is that he likes, and he's just happy. he got a dog's life. And a lot of times, listen, our life can become just like that. I mean, we, we've got a little affection. We've got a warm place uh, to sleep. We, we're able to go and do things that we enjoy doing. Uh, somebody to, to show us affection, give us a little love every now and then, and we're, we're just as happy as we can be. And yet, in that lifestyle, there can be absolutely never a thought for the things of God. If you want to see a person like that in the Bible, go back to the Old Testament. One of the best examples in there. In the book of Genesis, and you'll read the story of a man named Esau. Esau was a good old boy. We don't have a record of a lie that he ever told. He was honest as far as we can tell. He had to be a good guy. He liked to deer hunt. With a bow and arrow. I mean, he, he had to be a good guy. If you met Esau on the street, you'd probably like him. But Esau had a problem. He was completely dominated by the desires of the flesh. All he could think of was fulfilling the desires of the flesh. That was it. We don't have a record of a spiritual thought that Esau ever had. When he had the chance to be the spiritual leader of his family, he gave it up for what? A bowl of beans. <laughs> Why? Because he was hungry. That's all he cared about. So the Bible warns us then about having a conversation that is dominated by the desires of the flesh and of the mind. Ephesians 4.22 That you put off concerning the former conversation the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. And so the third kind of conversation that the Bible warns us about a religious conversation, a lustful conversation now there's a rotten conversation or a decaying conversation it is corrupt I thought seriously about whether I, I should make this a separate point or include it in the other one but I decided to make it a separate point although it kind of builds on the other one and that is uh, the, the lustful conversation uh, of life is deceitful and it is corrupting that is it is decaying it is deceitful because we think we're in control. And if you deal with people as I deal with people, if you talk to people out in public, if you deal with someone who's struggling in their life, you'll hear it. Uh, they'll say it in a thousand different ways, but it's the same thing. I am in control of this. I can quit whenever I want. They're deceived. Uh, they're, they can't. When you get caught up then in this lifestyle, it is corrupting. It causes decay. You've seen folks who maybe were in their 30s that looked 70 or 80. Their lifestyle has been corrupting, is decaying. But for everyone that does that physically, uh, they all do it spiritually. Can you imagine what God sees when he sees the lost human heart. Separated from him. Full of all the vile wickedness. Jesus talked about it when he said out of the heart of man. 
Out of the heart of man proceeds all manner of evil and all manner of wickedness. It's all in there. But it is so decaying and so corrupting. So if there's a religious conversation to avoid and a lustful conversation to avoid, there's also a rotten conversation, a decaying conversation that corrupts us, that eats us away from the inside out. There's a covetous conversation. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5. Let your conversation be without covetousness. And be content with such things as you have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Uh, we put a, a title on this. We, we call it keeping up with the Joneses. Although exactly who the Joneses were, I never did figure out. But I have figured out this part of it at least. Uh, that it's our way of talking about a life that is dominated by covetousness. And I'll tell you, that's a, that's a terrible, terrible master to get into. Where you're constantly uh, unhappy with the things you have because you see what your neighbor has. Oh, can we not learn about the joy, the simple joy that comes from rejoicing in the blessings that others have. So that we see them blessed and we say, well, God bless you. Isn't that wonderful? Instead of thinking, oh, man, man I, I work harder than you and I ought to have more than what you've got. Uh, well, that's covetousness. It's covetousness. You can have a lifestyle then that is dominated by covetousness. I'm not going to go into that a lot. Uh, I think you can see the point, and, and you've seen where it takes people. We don't want that. We don't want that. The Christian standard is that we're all a part of the body of Christ. And if one member suffers, we all suffer with it. And if one member is exalted, we are all exalted with it. And that gives us the ability not only of having empathy with those who are hurting, but also with rejoicing with those who are blessed. That's a much better life than having a life dominated by covetousness. Let your lifestyle be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. What have we got? Uh, we've got Jesus. He said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. There's a religious conversation, there's a lustful conversation, a, a rotten or a decaying conversation, a covetous conversation. The last bad one that we're going to look at tonight is an empty converse, conversation. Verse 18, for as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation. The word vain means empty. Chuck Swindoll very famously interpreted that as grasping for wind. Vanity, vexation of spirit, grasping for wind, emptiness. Reach out there tonight and grab you a big old handful of air. <laughs> Feels a whole lot like nothing. Nothing there. Our life can be a whole lot of nothing. But 1 Peter chapter 1 tells us, don't, don't be that way. Don't, don't have that vain conversation. He said, this is what you were. This is the life you had. This is what you got by tradition. This is what you inherited. This is what you were raised up in, in that old lifestyle. 
And that thinking that somehow by your own works and by the keeping of all the rules that you could make yourself right with God, uh, that was a vain conversation. It was an empty life. Can you imagine? Can you imagine tonight how empty those people were? Going to the temple, but lost. Offering up a sacrifice, but lost. Giving their tithes, but lost. Being there on the Sabbath, but lost. Avoiding all those dietary things that they couldn't eat, but lost. Wearing all the right clothes, but lost. Avoiding all the wrong people and staying out of the wrong places, but lost. It's no wonder Simon Peter said, remember that vain conversation, that empty lifestyle that you once had. We may not can look back on a past religious experience like this, but if you're saved tonight, you can look back on a time in your life when your life was just as empty. You were empty because you were lost. Sometimes we get along in the Lord's work and we have a tendency to start looking back as if somehow the, what we were, the lifestyle that we used to have, somehow has something to offer us. It doesn't. There is an empty life, a vain conversation that is to be avoided. There's also some good conversation to be attained. Most of these will come out of 1 Peter. In fact, uh, Simon Peter and James use this word more than any other writers in the New Testament. But there's a few others. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 27. We like this one. Only let your conversation, your way of life be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. Becoming. We don't use that word very much in, in this context anymore. Uh, but uh, there was a time when somebody might see you with a new hairdo. You've been to the beauty shop. I tell you, I'm getting old, guys. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, that's what they called it when my mama went to the beauty shop. She got a hairdo every Friday or Saturday. I mean, you had to get your hair done before... Sunday. You look at that new hairstyle you got at the beauty shop and it's like, well, it's very becoming. A new dress, well, it's becoming. It, what that means is it looks good on you. It makes you look good. So we want a lifestyle then. How about this one? That looks good on the gospel of Jesus Christ. God has saved you. He's given you the gospel. We want our lifestyle to look good on the gospel. That handles a lot of conduct, a lot of behavior, a lot of activity. Does it look good on the gospel? Well, here's some things that look good on the gospel. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20, our conversation is in heaven. We have a heavenly lifestyle. Though we are living in this world, folks, we are not of this world. We have a heavenly lifestyle. And because of that, Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20 tells us we are looking for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, our conversation, our manner of life, our, our way of living is in heaven. There is a heavenly conversation. I remember hearing the old preacher Vance Havner say one time, he said, well, you know, uh, preachers today, he said, and remember this was back in the 50s and 60s, he said, preachers today will warn them, you know, warn people, you know, you can be so heavenly minded, he said, as to be no earthly good. 
And he said, but I'm convinced that most people are so earthly minded as to be no heavenly good. It's way too easy for us to let our mind and our hearts be too much on this world and doing things just to please the world. Heavenly conversation. Our conversation is in heaven. 1 Peter 1.15 But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. So if there's a heavenly conversation, there's also a holy conversation. 1 Peter 1 and 15. Be holy in all matters of life. Holiness is a matter of sanctification. Certainly it is a matter of justification because we have been declared righteous according to law. You can't have sanctification without justification. You can't live out a righteousness that you don't have. You've got to have it before you can live it. And we have it because of our faith in Jesus Christ. And that is that glorious truth of that uh, imputed righteousness. That is that God has taken the righteousness of Christ and he has declared us to be righteous, to be not guilty according to law. But there's more to it. Simon Peter says, let's be holy in all of our manner of life because God is holy. Holy conversation. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 12. Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles. This is simple to see. An honest conversation. Honesty. Um, as we go about our lifestyle, as we go about living our life, we need to have a lifestyle then that is based on the truth. That happens in two ways. Number one is based on the truth of God. Therefore, we have an honest conversation because we know that our life is founded upon the rock-solid, bedrock foundation of the truth of God and His inspired Word to us. In a day when there are so many opinions and everybody's got an opinion and, and, and so many people want to be social influencers and they want to influence other people and tell us how to live and what to do and where to go and how to think and what to believe and what not to believe. Aren't you glad we have the unchanging word of God before us tonight? Because it tells us the truth. And that's part of having an honest conversation because we have a life then that is based on the truth of God. If we don't have that, we're living a lie. We are living a lie. And so conversation, an honest conversation, begins with having the truth of God in our life and having a true and real relationship with God and Jesus Christ so that we know what is true and we know what is good. But then beyond that, it is simply being an honest kind of person, telling the truth. And it can be difficult for us and sometimes in very simple ways. But uh, if we tell somebody that we're going to do it, then do it. If we tell somebody we're going to buy it, buy it. If we tell somebody we're going to pay them, pay them. (laughs) An honest conversation. There is a chaste conversation. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. Likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wise, while they behold your chaste conversation. Coupled with fear. 
with reverence and respect. Chaste conversation. Now, a lot of times we think of chastity within a context uh, that would refer to people when they're not married. And it would refer then to that person, male or female, who's not married, then who uh, does not live a life indulging in sexual practices that are reserved for those who are married. Uh, now, sex is of God. God invented it. And uh, he told us that marriage is honorable and the bed is undefiled. But whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. Uh, the Bible doesn't mince a lot of words. It's very straightforward. And you might be sitting there tonight thinking, well, well, you've heard these kind of things before. Uh, I not only have the right to say what the Bible says, I have a responsibility to say what the Bible says. So marriage is honorable in all things, uh, and the bed is undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. So a lot of times when we think of chastity, then we're thinking of that young man or that young woman who is waiting until they're married, and how disdainfully that concept is presented in our world today. I can't even begin to tell you how commonplace but you know, you know, we all know how commonplace it is uh, for people to be living together without being married. You know. Does the Bible talk about that? Does Jesus have anything to say about it? Remember the woman at the well when Jesus said, go call your husband? And she responded, well, I'm not married. <laughs> and she said, I don't have a husband. And she said, and Jesus said, yes, you're right. You, you, you've been married five times, and the man you're now with is not your husband. Does Jesus recognize a difference between being married and just living together? He sure did. John chapter 4. John 4. So we think of, of chastity most obvious, most often, most obviously, in connection with uh, young people or people of whatever age, you're avoiding uh, sexual behavior outside of marriage, and they have devoted themselves then to a life of chastity. But that's not the case in 1 Peter chapter 3. Uh, there is a way to, to have a pure lifestyle, even in marriage. And in this case, he is talking about wives who uh, were husbands, had husbands, who were not in obedience to, to the word, who were not obeying the word. I've looked at this, and, you know, there's obviously a lot of different ways that husbands could not obey the word of God. Uh, they might have uh, a husband who was uh, not a believer in Christ at all. That could happen and commonly did in New Testament times and still happens today. And that could be something that Simon Peter had in mind. But he could be talking about uh, that person who maybe was not living a godly lifestyle. Maybe they're a Christian, but they've rejected the church. Maybe they're a Christian, but they're, they're, not, they're not carrying on that conversation, or that lifestyle that God would have them. It's hard to be married to somebody who is not obedient to the word and stay obedient to the word. 
It's hard to be in that situation and continue to live a life of purity and godliness. When you're married to someone, you have a husband who's not. In God's design for marriage in the home, the husband is to be the spiritual leader of the family. He is told, commanded by God, to nurture his wife, to cherish his wife. To lead her and minister to her spiritually the way that Christ does for the church. But there's many a godly woman in the United States of America tonight that's living in a marriage where that's not the reality. And honestly, all of us would probably admit that we fall short. When we get in Ephesians chapter 5 and everybody wants to start hammering down about you wives being in submission. And and yeah, there's a lot of good solid preaching needs to be done on that too. No offense to anybody. But by far and away, it is the husband who has the toughest job in Ephesians 5. Because he taught us to love our wives as Christ loved the church. Would any of us ever claim, would any of us ever look at our relationship and our marriage and say that we are living up to the love of Jesus Christ? Or would we have to admit that we're constantly falling short even though we try? The sad reality of it is, though, is that there are many who don't try at all, make no effort at all. When you have a man, a husband that is not in obedience to the word, Simon Peter says, there's still a place for your chaste conversation. You can't control what your husband does, but you can control what you do. Chaste conversation coupled with fear. So there's a need for a, a, a chaste lifestyle, a pure lifestyle. Lastly, 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 16. Having a good conscience that whereas they speak of the evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. You know, that conversation shows up a couple of times in that passage. Our good conversation in Christ. This is a conversation, a lifestyle that's obvious. It's plain. It's easy to see. Um... This is a person who loves Jesus and lives for him and lives for his church. The old timers used to call this your testimony. Your testimony. And you folks have grown up probably listening to preachers talk to you about your testimony. This is your godly lifestyle, an obvious lifestyle. So that even though people may speak of you as evildoers, the fact is that your godly conversation will come through. Your obvious lifestyle, a good conversation in Christ. So tonight we have some kinds of bad conversations, bad lifestyles to avoid. But then there's also good conversations, a good lifestyle to attain. God so often makes things simple for us. We tend to overcomplicate things, I think, sometimes. But just think for a moment of all of the areas in life. 
our business life, our home life, our public life, the life we live before other people, the persona that we present before others, our church life. In every one of these areas, God has given us something that fits. That will help us live a good life. Have a good lifestyle in our home. Have a good life. Good lifestyle at work. Have a good lifestyle wherever we go and whatever we're doing. We have a good lifestyle. And that's something that we need to put before us constantly. Simple things. Hope you've jotted down maybe these passages or maybe go back to them later and pick them up. Uh, They're a good checklist for us. Not that we're going to give ourselves, put ourselves back under the Ten Commandments. Nothing like that. (laughs) Just some bad things to avoid and some good things to attain.